0: Welcome to Daily Coast's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Coast, and your co-host along with senior political writer Carrie Elaveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1:30 Pacific, 4:30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. I am Marcos Melitzas. I'm here with Carrie Eleveld. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Carrie, today we're going to be talking about Arizona. We're going to come back to our, our uh, series we've been doing, talking to organizations that are doing on the ground organizing in key 2022 battleground states. And Arizona is one of the most important states next year Uh, we've talked about this before but as a reminder in 2016 donald trump won the state over hillary clinton by about three and a half points Then he got 400,000 more votes in 2020, which should have been in a normal year, should have been enough to hold Arizona in his reelection campaign. Instead, Joe Biden and the Democrats got 500,000 more votes from 2016 to 2020. That's a 44 percent increase, which is just mind blowing. And a lot of people were doing this work on the ground. And one of them is today's guest. She is Montserrat. Arredondo. She uh, will be on in about 15 minutes and she runs an organization called One Arizona. We're going to talk to her about the work that she did on the ground and what needs to happen for Democrats to hold the ground in 2022. Now, she's a C3 nonprofit. She can't talk about we can't ask her about democratic chances, but she's doing voter organizing, voter turnout, redistricting work. So she's doing a lot of that incredible work that's necessary. And Carrie, Arizona, everybody I think when people think of Arizona right now, they think Kirsten in Cinema. But that's twenty twenty four. Um, 2022.
1: Kirsten of us getting giving the uh, state a bad name oh among God, Democrats, terrible. Yeah.
0: but we have to defend Mark Kelly's seat, he won in a special yeah. election. We have a critical governor's race, Katie Hobbs, who's the current secretary of state, is running for governor. We've seen how important that is not just in surviving a global pandemic, but in things like voter suppression, uh, voter rights. Katie Hobbs is the secretary of state. She was able to hold the line against Donald Trump's efforts to steal the election. We need to hold that office as well. Since Katie Hobbs is moving on to running for governor, we may be able to win the state legislature. We're going to absolutely have several competitive us house races. We don't have final maps. I don't think we can ask uh Monty about that when she comes on, but there's going to be competitive seats. So All of that is important. And then you overlay the fact that 2024 is going to be Arizona is going to be a 2024 battleground. So the work that organizations like one Arizona are doing to mobilize and register voters now obviously will have a spillover effect into 2024. So it's a critically important state. We're going to have that conversation in a little bit. But first, Carrie, you've been writing about this uh, for the last couple of days. What's going on with the Republicans in Washington? It's it's (laughs) chaos.
1: what the heck is going on with the Republicans in Washington? I mean, I, you know, first of all, they're coming unraveled. They're going to war with each other over this infrastructure bill that 13 House Republicans and 19 uh, Senate Republicans voted for. And I was looking, looking at the Washington Post ABC News poll today. And the thing polls at 63 percent support, you know, when you ask voters if they want. If they want investments, a one trillion dollar investment in roads, bridges and uh, other infrastructure. I mean, it was that that basic of a question. And it's 63 percent for and I think what, 32 percent against. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, this is this is an incredibly popular bill and the Republicans are coming, they have come unglued over it. And they're, they're much, you know, the house Republicans are much angrier at the, at that Baker's dozen who supported the bill because it's supposedly, you know, gives a win to, to Biden and to Democrats. They're much more upset over that than the fact that, you know, representative Paul Gosar is, is tweeting out videos of him executing, you know, you know, obviously anime videos, but of him executing, uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So how much you know, how much they, does
0: that pull, though? I mean, does that pull at 63 percent of America? I don't know.
1: I probably I wouldn't be surprised if that pulled pretty damn well among Republicans I'm and really Republicans. badly yeah. among Democrats and independents. I mean, look, I so I'll broaden this out because I always I'm always thinking like big picture. Right. So you and I, you are a very much focused on base voters, uh, Democratic base voters. And I think that is an incredibly important focus. But I think in, you know, next year, the Democrats are going to have to do both. They're going to have to get the base voters out. They're going to have policy, have to have policies that appeal to them that they can use for GOTV, but they're also going to have to persuade these Republicans or these sort of GOP kind of conservative leaning um, suburbanites who soured on Donald Trump and increasingly defected during his tenure and voted for Democrats. I we don't I I don't know that Virginia is decisive about whether or not that that block of voters is going to you know start moving back towards Republicans again. But it's up to Democrats to make sure those suburban no, voters know just how extreme this party has become, and that sure they may want their bridges to be safe when they're crossing them on their you know in their vehicle and their motorcycle whatever they drive they may want their br- their uh, roads to be decent and they may want infrastructure that's you know healthy and supports healthy community for their families but for republicans they don't care they don't care they they don't they don't wanna have consti- can- constituents can't have nice things Because if it means that we're going to give Democrats a win, I mean, that is where the GOP mentality is right now. And it's really up to Democrats to make sure that suburban voters realize how extreme this party has gotten, including death threats, including tweeting out videos of them executing, you know, uh, Congress people from the other side of the aisle. They're burning books.
0: They're literally burning books.
1: Look in, in Virginia. Books. Right. In in Virginia, they went from electing Glenn Yunkins, who was a, a supposed moderate, right? To six days later, you have these you have these uh uh school board members, I can't remember in exactly which county, but calling for book burning, calling for burning of books that they didn't like. I mean, so you know, this is it's not hypothetical, right? That if if you elect, if you hand this government over to uh, the, especially the lower chamber, but also potentially the upper chamber over to Republicans. You're going to end up with Kevin McCarthy, who has had almost who has had nothing to publicly say about his, you know, caucus member Congressman Paul Gosar tweeting t- tweeting out this you know execution of. This animated execution of of Congresswoman Ocasio Cortez. I mean, that's just unbelievable that he hasn't said anything publicly about it.
0: Yeah, the Trumpian base is, is nihilistic. We've discussed this before. They're not they're not interested in conservative governance. They're not interested in the word governance itself. They come from meth country, which is now also COVID infested country. Economic prospects sailed decades ago to Mexico and overseas and in Asia. And they feel abandoned. They feel the government in all institutions aren't there. They see opportunities, educational opportunities, economic opportunities, even cultural opportunities are in the major cities. But you can't even go to a football game now. If you're if you're a lower, you know, if you're a working class football game, it's going to cost you a couple hundred dollars per person, which is out of reach for a lot of people. So you have this gated wall mentality where the cities are the shining beacon of opportunity And they have been excluded. And their reaction isn't how do we rise up? How do we economically develop our little corner of rural America? The reaction has been to become nihilistic, right? They want to roll coal. They want to they want to they want to spew pollutants into the environment. They want to dirty the environment. They want to ruin everything for everybody. And this is one of the reasons that
1: we can destroy the. Destroy the Democratic Party. I mean, that yeah. is like, yeah, just destroy them. They don't care. And it's the Republican they
0: Party. They're not really beholden to the Republican Party. Now, that's, that's just the party because Trump has embraced them and they can't. You know, and people like McCarthy can't do anything about Gosar. Right. So that sort of feeds their that that nihilism is we're going to kill and we're going to destroy. And there's not I mean, even even uh, Cawthorn, Cawthorn, the guy in the the Republican. Madison, yeah. yeah. I just talked about how um, you you know what was it? Now I forgot, but it was very undemocratic. It was about how if if you think that Donald Trump did not win twenty twenty, you're an idiot, and then we're going to expose the fraud and we're going to bring him back.
1: I have the exact quote here, oh, which is: okay. "If anybody tells you that no, no, I just happen to have the tweet up. If anybody tells you the 2020 election was not stolen, they are lying to you." Uh, this is Madison Cawthorn, congressman from I think North Carolina. North Carolina, if I remember correctly, right. yeah. And then he said, "If major, if Republicans win the majority, he promises, and this is in video that he's doing this. I think he's holding some sort of like town hall or voter thing or whatever." Promises to charge Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci with uh, to charge him for what he's done on the pandemic, which, of course, is trying to save lives for, you know, a solid two years. He's been trying to do nothing but save lives. And he's going to conduct a forensic audit of all 50 states. To make sure that they can get Donald Trump back in the White House, so he's plying them with lies about 2020, which was not stolen, and there's never been any evidence of that. Then he's gonna he's gonna go on a witch hunt against Dr. Fauci, and then he's going to do a forensic audit of all 50 states. So, you know, supposedly Donald Trump can be reinstated into the White House, which we know isn't a thing. Like that's not a possibility. So it's it's just all lies.
0: Yeah. And they're playing their base. And I think this is probably how they were able to get that Trump nihilist vote to come out for governor candidates in New Jersey and in Virginia, even though those, both those candidates were distancing themselves from Donald Trump. So they're getting better at mobilizing. And now that these these Trump nihilist voters are turning out without Trump on the ballot, we know that everything just got a lot harder. The good news is that we can't, we don't, it's not like it's a question. We're not going to be like, well, I wonder if they'll turn out or not. We know they will turn out. We know we have to get everybody out or we don't control Congress next year. That's the bottom line. And, but they are nihilists. These people want nothing more than the destruction of society because they themselves have been so excluded from any opportunity, that's my theory, but that they've been so excluded and they're, they're on the outs that, that it's easier just to turn, burn it all down than it is to try to, what, learn a new career, find new e- economic opportunity, move to where the jobs are. So it's a lot easier to stay, to sort of descend into conspiracy theory land. And that's where they all live now. Now we have a, a Republican Party that is actively trying to overthrow American democracy we have the media that pretends that it's just both sides do it. And, you know, he said, she said that they, they don't understand the grave danger that this Republican Party is uh, presenting to the United States and the Democrats, you know, we because of freaking mansion and cinema, we can't even pass simple legislation when we have a majority. And so it, it sort of creates a, an ugly climate that may have led to losing Virginia and almost losing New Jersey and uh, and. Now we have a year to write the ship before the 2022 mid-cycle. and uh, I don't know Carrie are you seeing anything from the Democratic side right now that gives you any hope that they're, they get the challenges ahead and are doing something about it
1: well I, I do think I mean look I think I think going ahead and passing the infrastructure bill now I, I'm not necessary I wasn't necessarily like we should do it right away because it's the last piece of leverage that progressives had right? But I do think that that is a that was a sign when, you know, Biden goes out and encourages everybody to vote for the bill. Progressives get on board and say, okay, let's go ahead and pass this thing. To me, that was a recognition that, whoa, we've got a we've got a lot of work to do here and we should go ahead and have a win quickly in order to start to change this narrative. The other thing is, I mean, I want to say like. You know, a lot of people are upset with Democrats. Democrats are not perfect. We're not a perfect party. It's We're a diverse party. It makes messaging more difficult. It makes a whole lot of things more difficult, right? Um, but... What the nation is asking right now, for anybody who truly believes in democracy, and I don't mean a democracy where white Christians are the only people who count. I mean a democracy where everyone can vote and their voice can be heard and the elections can't be rigged on the back end by something that says if we don't like the outcome, we can get rid of the election officials, right? I'm talking about a real democracy. We're asking one party right now that, to, to save the democracy. Because Republicans are no longer invested in that democracy, in that vision of democracy. They might call it democracy, but it's not what they're invested in. So it's a tall effing order. Like, that's a tall order. Can a single party save the republic? Right. When the other party, which is the other major party in the nation, is not invested in that republic anymore. And I think that's part a part of what we're seeing with uh, with uh, Joe Biden's approval numbers going lower. I mean, I think people were like, gosh, can we just get back to normal? And there was you know, there's all different kinds of versions of normal. But, you know, can we get back to something that's just a little bit more reasonable, pre-Trump reasonable? Right. And there's no way for Biden to really turn the ship around among with a Republican Party that is so nihilistic, that is so bent, you know, and uh, on, on destroying things and not giving Democrats any wins and things like that. You know, 19 Senate Republicans and 13 House Republicans voted for that infrastructure bill. And only five of them were willing to show up for the bipartisan celebration of Biden selling the bill. Everyone else was like, I don't want the death threats. I don't, I don't want to lose a primary or whatever it might be. Um, So, you know, it, it is, um, I don't even know where I was going, but. (laughs) So (laughs) maybe I've gotten there. Oh, you (laughs) said, you said, have you seen anything? I think passage of the bill of the infrastructure bill is a sign that Democrats know they need to write the ship and um, hopefully we'll get build back better. And once they stop having this debate amongst themselves to try and get this legislation through, which will hopefully be entirely soon, rather, sooner rather than later, then they can get to selling this stuff. They can go back to their districts and say, here's what we've got for you. Here's what we've done for we you. We know you're hurting. We know that this pandemic is really taking a toll on people. We know the prices are high. We know gas is outrageous. We know, you know, all this stuff. This is what we've done for you. And and I I really think that's, uh, you know, that could start to turn things around a little bit, along with really highlighting what the Republican Party has come to.
0: There's a whole sort of theory on on when did Republicans become this nihilistic? and, And you can actually go back to the Gingrich revolution where. was at 1994 where they ran on eliminating pork barrel spending remember pork barrel spending that was that was the ability of government to shuffle federal resources into member districts so there was a time when even republicans everybody they would get elected to congress and their job was to take care of their constituents when they eliminated pork barrel spending they eliminated that lever and those individuals that, that are being represented, these rural areas that were getting a fair amount of federal aid, stopped getting that federal aid. And they descended further into economic despair and conspiracy land. So it, this is a really interesting idea that, that we as a government are no longer built on selling getting goody, government goodies to you because this pork barrel spending was so demonized for so long and a whole party oriented against it. And uh, it's going to be a challenge. And we, we had a poll, right, Kerry, where most people said that they got benefits from the, from the stimulus bill, but they didn't give Joe Biden and the Democrats credit for unilaterally passing that stimulus bill. And that's the thing that we're going to have to, um, I think we're going to have to, we're going to have, that's going to be the big democratic challenge in this year ahead. Uh, but you're right. If we pass Build Back Better, and yeah, there's things like the debt limit, there's, there's still some fights. But if the Senate can then just shift into like pass, you know, confirming judges. Nothing but confirming judges, because we pass the key core of the Biden agenda. Then that provides a space for Democrats to go on the offensive, which they haven't been able to do. You're absolutely right, because they're so focused on mention in cinema that they don't want to say anything that'll give mention and cinema a reason to go cry to the Republican friends right. and put, put, it, put another roadblock.
1: I think they would should make we our guest is here, but I think that they should make also one extremely big push at least to try to get voting rights through because that's going to, you know, whether or not I I don't know if there's going to be a way of making a carve out in the filibuster in order to at least get voting rights through. The future of the of the republic may depend on it. It also, you know, there's other ways that maybe we can get to a better place in our in our society. But um, that bill and highlighting the GOP obstruction of it is very important. And I'm seeing a lot of polling that shows that people aren't really clear about which party is anti-democracy right now. It's almost 50-50. It's like 45-45. Well, because Republicans
0: Republicans have been convinced that the election was stolen. So, of course, they are going to see Democrats as the big enemy of democracy. And we know better because we pay attention to reality and- we know what we had is.
1: If we had independence on our side on that, the polling would be closer to 55%, 35% or something like that. 58%, you know, 30 some percent. Um, and we're not there. It's like 45, 45. So that's got to be made really clear to people. Yeah. That's got to get cl- made clear to people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I our guest is ready to come on. So let's bring her on, Carrie. She is Montserrat Arredondo. She is the executive director of uh, one Arizona. Monse, is that how we call it?
2: Yeah, Monse. Monse works.
0: Monse, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So this is one of my favorite questions we ask guests, and I think you, you're going to have a good answer for this one. Um, <laughs> so we, we always ask what the origin story is. Like, what was it that motivated you to become a professional activist?
2: Oh, wow. I, you know, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, born and raised. My family is Mexican. My mom is undocumented to this day. There's not a solution for her to become a citizen or legal resident of this country. So back when I was young, I grew up in public housing. We all shared the same backyard and hung out together. And it was coming close to college time when we were all deciding to go to the same school together. And many of my friends were finding out for the first time that they um, were undocumented, that they didn't have a social security number to apply for FAFSA. And at the time in Arizona, we had passed Prop 300, which was, um, didn't allow for in-state tuition for uh, undocumented students, even if they graduated from a high school here in the state. Um, so we got we got involved. We wanted to do something about it. We were finding out that it wasn't just moms that were undocumented, but people our age. And um, I remember that year, um, Governor Brewer <clears throat> became the governor because Napolitano left to the Obama administration. So she wasn't elected into governorship, and she was coming up for reelection. She had signed. So it. a
0: Democratic governor was appointed by Obama. I think Homeland yes. Security. And so the Republican, what was she, the lieutenant governor? Secretary
2: of State. Our oh, Secretary, Secretary of, State. of State. Yeah, we don't have. Um, okay. So she was coming up for uh, for election, and we were registering people to vote. We were getting the word out. And then she actually gets elected. So, you know, I was crying that night. Um I couldn't believe like after so much work day in, day day out, um, registering people to vote, she had won after she had signed something like that. And it just was a rude awakening of like what my state actually was. And this like bubble that I was living in of all brown people essentially was wasn't small in the state, but we hadn't um, exercised our power yet. So that's what that's what pushed me to get involved. And I haven't stopped since. Like now I'm like, oh shit, this is my actual job that I do every day. I still tell my mom, she my mom still tells me, like, when are you gonna get a real job? And I'm like, mom, I think this is a career now, you know, like at this point. uh, Oh yeah. uh, It's funny. Tell her tell her that
1: you're tell her that you're saving the country. Be like, you know, I mean, I feel like it's important. I'm saving the the country.
0: The most important, the most important.
2: It's yeah. so important. I, uh, I worked on the minimum wage campaign in 2016, and we passed that. And that was the first time that she was like, oh, shit, I know what you do. Like I get it. <laughs> and she was just like told everybody she knew that I had made that happen. So um, that's definitely one of my proudest moments.
1: So and just just to be clear uh one of the things you mentioned on your website is that you were uh, that I I'm not so sure you you touched on but I'm not so sure it was totally clear is it part of what motivated you f- to do this to get into the line of work was SB 1070 yeah. was Jan Brewer signing SB 1070 the right. anti-immigration piece of legislation and you know people in California have compared SB 1070 to you know to to some of the early efforts in California that ended up making it... Right, totally well, democratic. Eventually, so you know, you're a product like we always talk yeah. about the
2: activists who were activated by SB ten seventy. Here you oh, are, yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. Well, you know, at the time we thought we were going to get immigration reform federally, and then yeah. SB ten seventy happened. SB ten seventy happened to us in the state, and we just had to shift gears. And we had lots of folks from California in the state that had actually moved here. Because of the anti-immigrant bills that were passing in California, they moved to Arizona and then, you know, a decade later it's happening here. Yeah, yeah, a huge activation for me and many of the folks that work in the organizations here in the state, you know, we we camped out at the Capitol for over a hundred days and, and Brewer still, she signed that bill. And it's something that we're we're still fighting here. You know, there's so many local battles while we're trying to make things happen federally for for the whole country.
0: Arizona is you know, looking at your at one Arizona. Actually, let, let's yeah. let's start there. Can you talk a little bit about what one Arizona does and has done the last few cycles? Because I think it leads into yeah. the story of how did Democrats get half a million new voters in 2020 over 2016? And I think you're part of that story. So if you could tell a little bit about that, that'd be great.
2: Yeah, yeah. So One Arizona is a coalition of community organizations across the state. Uh, We started in 2010 after SB 1070. There was a few immigrant rights groups that came together and wanted to coordinate, get resources together because we weren't a well-funded state at the time. And we started doing a lot of voter registration and voter activation work. And 10 years later, we have grown to 28 organizations, again, across the state and have diversified from not just an immigration rights issues, but um, all an array of progressive issues that our community cares about for brown and black people. Um, and as we grow into other constituency groups like native folks and AAPI folks, cause our state is changing and it's evolving. Though uh, Latinos continue to be like the biggest growing population in our state Um, and since 2010 we know we have turned in over half a million voter registrations and we were able to still run a robust campaign even with COVID last year and beef up our online and digital game that is only going to complement the field work that we already know how to do so well Um, and we were able to you know, increase the number of young people because we have so many young people at organizations like me that work here. Um, and, you know, you attract you attract people that look like you and sound like you. Um, just like when folks mm-hmm. say, I want to elect someone that's from my community, you know, that means more people like us need to run so that, that, that we're seeing that. And that's the next part of our work, not just um, registering folks to vote, but getting them excited to vote for someone. Um, and vote for things. And here in Arizona, I think we see a lot of people that register without a party and are really listening to issues or vote heavily on our ballot measures versus like individual candidates. And that's still something that I think candidates need to weave in better in their campaigns. Like in 2016, this uh, minimum wage ballot measure, perfect opportunity for candidates to talk about that. And we didn't see it as much. So I'm hoping next year we see a lot of that.
0: So half a million voter registrations is literally the half a million that we needed. And we needed almost every (laughs) single one of those votes. I'm assuming that that work continues. You said you're still registering voters. Do you have a sense of is there a big pool still? Is there a lot of low hanging fruit that you guys can reach and register to vote? Because one thing we found out uh, two weeks ago is that the Trump Republican vote is going to turn out. So Mm -hmm. Trump got got what? He got 400,000 more votes in Arizona between 2016 and and, and 2020, Mm 400,000. We we have to assume they're going to turn out next year. If we don't turn out all of ours, plus Mm
2: -hmm. we
0: are in trouble. Right. I mean, I, I don't think this is I think this is just basic math. Is there a lot of low hanging fruit on the voter registration stuff or is it getting tougher and tougher after half a million is a real number? I mean, that's that is incredible.
2: And that's over a decade. Yeah, it's over yeah. a decade and, you know, we're we're focused on communities that are moving a lot, you know, that are coming, coming of age. And um, and our goal for next year is um, 300,000 voter registrations. Ooh. And we're looking wow. to be back in the field and not just do that digitally. So that's that's our that's our best game. You know, when we're out talking to folks in the community, they're seeing us, they're interacting with us, they're getting their questions answered. So, um, you know, I think we're going to reach our goal. And again, we have 28 partners, about half of those participate really actively on the voter registration campaigns. Um, But that's, that's like meeting in the middle, right? Like we need, we need candidates, we need these folks running for office to meet us the other, the other way too. like folks want to have something that they're voting for, not just something that they're voting against, you know, Personally, I'm tired of just voting against, you know, I want to be excited. I want to know that um, that people that are coming into office are going to do something for me, regardless of regardless of their political career, but that they're going in, I'm going to get shit done. And then, well, if I make it the next time I make it, if not, the next person's coming in and they're getting shit done, too. I'm sorry, am I allowed to say bad words on you Yes, absolutely. You? Absolutely. I swear swear it up. Now,
0: I'm wondering what your mom would think about that, though. That's what I'm wondering.
2: Oh, my mom. Oh, my gosh. She's better at it than me in Spanish. <laughs> yes. yes. <swear.
1: laughs> oh, my gosh. Now you're selling her out, too. It's a rough go for mom today. I oh, know. <laughs> I know. She cannot know about this. <laughs> Well, it'll be our little secret, and yeah, just the definitely. three of us, and just, you know, I don't know, just a few, just a smattering of other people. We only have like five viewers, a, a, you know, in our podcast. Oh my gosh, no. It just takes one
2: one person, one right person to go viral, right? It just takes one person. Right. <laughs> um, so what,
1: what issues are you seeing addressed, and what issues have been left unaddressed that you think yeah. could motivate people. I mean, look, I, and I, if it's, if Biden isn't meeting your expectations, if Mark Kelly isn't meeting your expectations, or conversely, if they are, we, we want to know about it. What What do you got?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that um, COVID is still a real issue in our communities. Uh, you know, we work with a lot of Spanish speaking communities, um, mm-hmm. Latinos, immigrants that are still getting a lot of misinformation. You know, we're not ahead of that. And uh, people are seeing family members die and they're still not getting their COVID, their COVID vaccine. You know, I think that's still a big issue for us. And education has been a big issue for us. And that's something that, you know, in the most recent years, we've seen activate people in the state as well. The same way SB 1070 did, you know, just um, two years ago, there was a huge Red for Ed movement where people came out, they were talking about education they wanted to see things done and then during covid people were doing school from home and you know that was extremely hard especially for the communities that we work with that ha- that never stopped working you know my mom did not have a single covid day off the whole year she just continued to work we saw that in our states we didn't have in our state we didn't have a full shutdown so um, you know the economy education and healthcare are big issues for our community and people want to see something done um, about those things and that folks are talking about them and that no one's letting that go, that the reality that people lived in 2020 um, is real for them. And they, you know, I I want to hear folks admit that and and feel empathy for, for what folks went through.
0: Is that an issue that Will play politically as in in the campaign process, as in you know, the Republicans are going to say it's about freedom and no mandates and no masks. While I mean, I haven't seen what Katie Hobbs, a Democratic presumptive Democratic uh governor candidate, what she's saying on that, but is that an issue that plays politically? Is it is it is it is it uh, yeah.
2: um, you polarizing know, pretty- people. We're non-partisan as an organization, One Arizona. You know, we're in it to activate folks and get them information that they need to make a decision. Um, And, of course, some of our organizations um, do do partisan work um, outside of this coalition. Um, But I think it's super complex, and, you know, a lot of folks in Arizona believe in autonomy, like, you know, don't tell me what to do, while still wanting to have access to healthcare and great education for their families. Like we're super family oriented and, um, you know, it's not one or the other. And I think that in the Southwest, especially we need to talk about it a little differently and not dismiss people that are saying, Hey, don't tell me what the fuck to do. Um, but try to, try to get them in a different way. And I think we're still learning how to have those conversations, especially with men um, and learning that women in the family, in the household, when given the, the, the boost, like, hey, you are a person that is influential. People want to know in your family what your opinion is. You can make a difference on how your family is voting, whether they're voting, Like, let's make that, let's make that happen. And I think that's a tactic that we're trying to, to push for more with, with women and young people really standing up and saying like, Hey, this is what I believe. And I think we saw it a lot in 2020. I mean, these young folks online that were just pushing stuff, um, the same way that we saw, you know, for Trump's campaign that he had all these trolls, essentially a bunch of (coughs) young people that just created shit, uh, you know? at home little means we saw it i think on the progressive side more and more so we're, we're catching up there um but again it's it's complex it's complicated i think um the misinformation too is is hard to to navigate through those are long long conversations that we're having with people to get them out of that space because that's all they're hearing all day on the radio on the tv on their facebook Wow. So what and what do you think? I mean, I,
1: I, I know you mentioned COVID, but what do you think some of those biggest misconceptions are? Is it the vaccine is dangerous? Is it which it isn't, of course, but, you know, is it right. something like that? Um, what, what are the things that you rub up against most trying to
2: get? Yeah. People yeah. Uh, um, you know, some folks m- mentioned it, it being unsafe. Um, Not studying enough, like it kind of came too fast. And I think there's hesitations about that. Also, people that haven't gotten sick or COVID hasn't hit them the same way. Um, This idea that it's maybe not real, you know, or um, doesn't affect younger people the way it does older people. So I'm okay, You know, I'm okay. I'm young. I know it's not a big deal for me. And this this um, this like we're all in this together isn't clicking, you know, because of those things.
0: I know that that uh, you've talked and you've written about voter suppression in Arizona and the hurdles that your communities have to jump in order to participate in the franchise. Can you talk a little bit about what the uh, what Arizona has done to make it harder for certain communities to vote?
2: Yeah. And you know, what's funny is that during COVID, we saw a lot of updates that we really liked, you know, like drive, drive by or drive through voter registrations, more abilities to drop off your ballot in different places. Um, You know, um, our voter registration deadline, we were able to extend that through like a legal battle, so it's like oh, we got all these little wins that made it easier for folks to vote. That often make are harder. You know, there's less polling locations. We have to make sure the polling places open open on time. You know, our native communities are constantly struggling to get um, translation services or support. In these very rural polling places that we too, as communities, struggle to be at to enforce or help folks say, "Hey, no, don't leave. You need you deserve and have the right to get that support." So there's um, the sporadicness, you know, that we have that's hard too. Uh, but these were all things that kind of got addressed during the pandemic because they Wait, were trying. Are to you sticking? Paper. I mean, that's what we're fighting for to keep okay. them. But the argument the argument is hard now. You know, folks are like, again, we're that we're one of those states that take your mask off, do whatever you want. But again, these translation services making sure that folks there's enough polling locations, a bunch of polling locations and these drop drop box areas that During COVID, we saw a bunch more pop up and we're hoping that that stays because making it easier to drop off your ballot is a big win. Something that we used to do was collect ballots, like let us turn this in for you and making sure those got submitted. And then we got shut down as soon as we were doing that. That's something that the state was like turned into a problem. They started calling it. um, What was it? Boat harvesting. Harvesting. (laughs) Harvesting. Um, which was a big issue for us because folks, you know, sit on their ballot, they get it at home and they're more likely to vote, but they still need that encouragement. They still need that push. And last year, not being able to knock on doors as early as we'd like to was was a big issue for us that we we want to get ahead of this next year.
1: Do you have a a, a single policy? And if I, if this question is out of bounds, you can you can nix it. But do you have a single policy or a few policies that you think would be heavy sellers that would get people out. You know. And I think of like, for instance, if the Democrats were able to pass universal pre-K, would that be a big, big deal? Do you think you could get that across? Or what if uh, Joe Biden you know, got rid of $50,000 worth of student debt for people? What, I'm just wondering what you think the big motivators are for the communities that, that we need to get out as Democrats.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, again, the communities that need to get out to vote, regardless, regardless of party, I think, need to hear things like um, free and great education. You know, we're la- our education is free, but we're last last in the country, one of the last. Um, I think healthcare again is a big issue, a rude awakening for many, many people. Um, I think a lot of folks that come from communities like mine also get healthcare and are like, I don't know what to do with it, you know, and, and then still end up in an emergency room because we're not going and seeing, um, um, visiting the doctor soon enough. And I think, you know, all those, all those things that are going to make someone's life easier on a day to day is, is what we want to see, you know, I think folks are tired of these future, future wins that just are taking way too long. Like, how can we increase people's salaries right now? How can we help support people's status right now? You know, how can we make sure that people that are sick feel like they can go to the hospital or call the ambulance without knowing that they're going to go into a huge debt? Um, And, you know, those I feel like are common sense solutions that, make someone's life better on the day-to-day that we just keep tippy-toeing around.
0: Sort of yeah. kind of related is is um, this idea of intensity, voter intensity, you know, participatory, uh, people eager to participate. Clearly in 2020, the, it was just I mean, I don't know how you get half a million new votes from 16 to 20 without some just massive energy, right? I mean, there yeah. it must, have been, it must have been something special in Arizona yeah. Yeah. That, that November. Is that intensity – I mean, obviously it's going to be – you can't maintain that in a non-presidential year, but mm-hmm. can we keep at least some of that? Do you, do you think – because Republicans are going to get their vote out. I mean, we know this. We saw that two weeks ago. How um, and I know you're not partisan, but in your communities, is that intensity still there or is it sort of fading away with a lack of, you know, visible, although I, I don't even want to say lack of visible progress because, you know, child tax care. I mean, the stimulus stuff, not the, uh, the child tax credit. The tax credit so, yeah. yeah. So there have been. But is that enough to keep up intensity, keep people engaged politically looking into next year or are people tuning out?
2: Um, you know, we, I think we saw a huge, huge turnout for us here because of the parallels of Trump and Sheriff Joe. I think, you know, um, our sheriff pre SB 1070 that had all these raids and just was the big villain of our state, you know, and there were some parallels there that I think our communities just didn't forget and were so apparent that they were like, oh shit, this guy is, you know, very similar to this other guy that was bad, you know, bad in our community. And I think that was a big fundamental push for us um, in the community came out.
1: Sheriff Joe is Sheriff Joe Arpaio. So what she's talking, what Montse is talking about is the comparisons between Trump and Sheriff Joe Arpaio, who was like, this total radical sheriff who still, you know, whatever, but, but anyway, that, but it made it really clear for the communities is what you're saying. This comparison mm-hmm. between Trump and Sheriff Joe Arpaio and, and how he, his policies
2: for, were going to play out and for both, both groups of people, right. Folks that liked him and didn't like him because right. he was so popular, like prolific in, in the communities that did, um, resonate with what he was bringing to the table and then also so like um, just people were so so frightened of what he could do In the, on the other hand and you know someone mentioned here Trump pardoned Sheriff Arpaio so then that was another like oh you know these people are connected um, <clears throat> and I think that that again was a big push for us and I think moving forward um uh, And I keep coming back to COVID, but that was a big thing for our state and a big um, state by state solution thing. You know, we're right next to California. We saw how they handled it and what they did and the things that we weren't doing and that our governor wasn't doing. And I think that next year is going to be a lot about um, what happened here locally what was addressed and what wasn't addressed, who left us behind, um, you know, who was taking care of the community and who wasn't, um, and I think there's enough, there's enough local, local things for us that are going to get our community, community out, or that we'll even have to talk about to get our community excited about voting, um, and still, I'm still coming back to this, like voting against, you know, I'm not quite, we're not quite on the like voting for, and we are working on that. There's a few ballot measures that, you know, we want to see happen that make voting easier, that are around education. Um, <clears throat> but um, I, I, again, I think people have felt like they were not being taken care of and that they got left out to dry during this, this pandemic and lots of people lost someone in their lives and that. Happened for them because of what the state decided, because they were seeing what other states were deciding to do, and our state was doing differently.
0: So we are running uh, almost out of time here. Um, What so fun? It's so fun, Harry. Do you have one (laughs) more question before we
1: ask her? No, no, you, you, you go ahead. You're on. You've been on a roll. (laughs) So,
0: so no. So the, the question is, people. I, I hope our community realizes how important Arizona is. We're going to be talking endlessly about Arizona. It's, it's, it's,
2: yeah.
0: it's a top three state in 2022.
2: Uh,
1: what
0: can, what can people do to help you do your work?
2: Yeah. Yes. Thank you for asking that. You know, again, we're, we're coming out of just online. We're going back into the streets and we do voter registrations, like where folks are at. we, outside of the grocery store, you know, outside of the schools, on campuses. And that requires a lot of resources, both um, financial and then also just people power. You know, it's an exhausting job. And we've had folks visit the state before, and we've figured out ways how to accommodate that. Arizona gets really hot in the summer, and that's our that's our time where we got to get things done. So, you know, we have 28 organizations at one Arizona, um, many of them are focused on an array of issues. There's an issue that you care about that you can connect with at our coalition. So I invite you to check us out and support one of the organizations, become a member of their organization and consider visiting the state. Um, you know, when the time comes, we're going to need all, all hands on deck to get 300,000 people registered to vote and also aware of how and when to vote so that those ballots are getting turned in and people are making their voices heard.
0: Yeah, lots of people in neighboring states, including Southern California, that, can, uh, that can, hey,
2: California rot- rot can always come through with phone banking. So a big shout out to all our California friends that are always supporting us here.
1: What's what's the URL to your um, to your website?
2: It's oneArizona.org. org. Mm
1: hmm. Okay. And we're updating our time.
2: website to make it easier. So give us a few weeks. It's gonna look, <laughs> look at it today and then look at it again in a month. Okay. I was
1: gonna say go now. <laughs> and then do the comparison shopping in about three yes. weeks. So That's but right. go Thanks now. Go to onearizona.org now. <laughs> now just yeah, to get yourself, true. you know, sort of rolling in the right direction. And then go back in three yeah. weeks and you will be wowed. Wow, just
2: blown away. Blown
0: away. <laughs> Montserrat Arredondo is the yeah. executive director of One Arizona. Uh, Monte, we're going to have you back later because we're going to be talking about Arizona. And maybe mm. next time bring some of your partner organizations with and we can ah, talk yes. to some of, some of the work that they're we doing that. as well. Because this is, this is what we live for. It's our reason to exist. It's to... Uh, empower people on the ground to do the hard work of democracy, because clearly it's not going to protect itself anymore. We know that now that we have to yeah, take this.
2: It's a constant battle. Yep.
0: Yep. Absolutely. So, Monset, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, looking forward to you. seeing you again soon.
2: Thank you. That was fun.
0: It, it was fun. Um, I'm I'm still blown away by 500,000 registered in the last 10 years, and a goal of what 300? She said for this this cycle. She, they have to hit that. I don't think there's an. This is not a an optional. Would be nice.
1: Three hundred thousand. Th- right, three hundred thousand new registrations. That was the goal, right?
0: That is the goal that she talked about, right. and in between that, and turning out people who uh, already are registered to vote, trying to get people motivated to be engaged to do like what she talked about. It's funny. She didn't ask for money. She asked for manpower. <laughs> she asked for right. people help do the work that the organization that that needs to be done, which you talked about going out and registering people to vote. You don't register 300,000 people (laughs) on Twitter or on TikTok, right? I mean,
2: right, right, right.
0: You're going to need hundreds, if not thousands of volunteers. So um, definitely those people who are in neighboring states. I know I know um, uh, people in New Mexico and and in Southern California, they can head down there in Colorado, even Um, can go down and help out because what happens in Arizona next year is going to dictate whether we hold the Senate, whether we hold the House, whether Arizona has a pro-voting, pro-democracy government in place for 2024, and then all sorts of other things that are beneficial to the people of of Arizona, right? But from a national perspective, Arizona is almost, it's a very pivotal state in our battle for American democracy. And so we're going to have to fight for it. Yep.
1: So and I I was um, interested. I mean, you know, I think she can't be a hundred percent candid about because she they, she works for a nonpartisan organization, right? Um, but she can be, I think, a hundred percent candid about some of the you know very specific policy issues. But you know, I'm seeing in a lot of the polling that COVID as a major health care issue has started to recede for a lot of people, and it's more like a third of people now, a third of Americans in a lot of polls now say, roughly a third now say, oh, I'm still really worried about this. But, you know, two thirds are closer to saying, I'm less worried about it or I'm not worried about it at all. What I'm hearing from her is that COVID is still a very big issue for the communities that she, you know, that they're trying to get registered. That what happened with COVID that the Republican governor's approach to COVID is, you know, people are hopefully clear that he didn't protect them. He didn't try to help them, you know, and a lot of people, Uh, among the communities that they're trying to register people to vote lost loved ones based on that. Um, And it's, it was interesting to me too, to hear how fluid sort of the information flow between Arizona and California is. And, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, California is a huge state and I don't know, you know, I don't know if the residents here spend as much time thinking sometimes about other states, but that Arizona seems very aware of the differences between how things um, or the Arizona and she's talking about seem very aware of the differences between how things were handled in California with the pandemic and how things were happened there, uh, among other things. So it was interesting to hear like this is a sounds like a very visceral issue um, to the community she's working with.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's actually an excellent point, Carrie. Um, I'm glad you, you focus on it because she kept coming back to COVID at a time when a lot of us are moving on from COVID and 80% of American adults are now vaccinated. I mean, we're, we're, we're cranking, but there are pockets. There are pockets in places like Florida, Texas, Arizona where, where, um, it is still, ravaging those communities. People are still dying in large numbers. And then if you have communities, the kind of communities she's serving, Black and uh, Brown Native communities, uh, have less access to quality healthcare, less access to information. Uh we talked to Jamie Parrish uh from Navajo Nation a few months right. ago. We definitely need to bring her back. She talked about how it's even the internet is 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 sketchy to non-existent in Navajo Nation. So they can't even get information online.
1: Well, it makes me wonder because, you know, Governor Doug Ducey, who's a Republican, right, um, and is term limited out, so he's leaving, but he just sent out a big release yesterday touting the $100 million, historic $100 million investment in broadband for rural areas of the state. And of course, all of that money, as Congressman Ruben Gallego pointed out, comes from the American Rescue Plan, which every single congressional Republican voted against. So here's a a Republican governor touting this major investment in broadband that was brought about by the American rescue plan, which not a single Republican in Congress supported. Uh, it makes me wonder, it makes me wonder is there going to be some sort of uh, biased treatment of how that and how those investments are made. In other words, is Navajo nation, we should reach out to Jamie Parrish and ask, are, are the areas of the, communities that she works with, are they gonna see some of that investment or is that investment only gonna go to sort of red areas of the of the state? I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and this is this is uh why I mean for the for locals it's important to win. But it kind of pulling it back to the COVID thing, it, it's a it's a community that really is has been disproportionately impacted. And so I could see how it still resonates and including if you've lost family members, that bitterness that's left behind. Uh, from preventable deaths if you had a governor who was into sensible precautions, masking and, and, and urging people to vaccinate, social distancing. This is not hard stuff. It, yeah, it sucks. Nobody likes it, but we we've had to do what we've had to do to prevent disease that has killed millions of people globally and what closing in on 800,000 here in the United States. So it's critically important. We're going to be talking about Arizona a lot, just like we're going to be talking about Georgia and Texas. Beto O'Rourke is running for governor of Texas. We definitely need to, we'll, we'll do Texas soon because that's going to be a, a really interesting and fun state. And doesn't so that,
1: doesn't that open up a potential announcement from our friend, uh, um, Julian Castro, you know his name? Yeah, right, Julian Castro. For lieutenant lieutenant governor, some people were talking about the ticket of of Castro and O'Rourke for Lieutenant Governor and Governor being a potentially really hot ticket. so It would
0: be an incredibly hot ticket.
1: Maybe he wants to come up, come back on our show and announce (laughs) on our show. because What better place, what better place to roll out your candidacy than on our podcast?
0: (laughs) I can't think of any, Carrie. I can't think of any. So that is our show. Thank you so much to everybody that helps make this show possible. Thank you, Carrie, for being such an amazing co-host. As always, thanks to Montserrat Arredondo, Arredondo, who is the executive director of One Arizona. Arizona's hot. If, you can, if you're anywhere in a position to donate to organizations in the work or actually being a volunteer, Arizona is one of the most important places you can do so in defense of our democracy. Thanks to Walter Einenkel for producing this show. Thanks to Kara Zelaya for doing all the social media. And thank you, the viewer, listener, reader, for being part of this and joining us you can also join the conversation at Daily Coast or on Twitter at Daily Coast. And uh, guys, see you next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you next week.